to Everything's Relative podcast, where we talk about DNA discoveries and how people are learning all sorts of things about who they are or who they are not these days. Uh, It's a lot to do with the mail-in DNA kit industry. Things like 23andMe and Ancestry.com are blowing up families all around the world. Uh, But it also happens other ways, like phone calls and Facebook messages and certified letters. Either way, surprises and secrets are coming out of the woodwork, and this podcast wants to talk about it. Uh, My name's Eve Sturgis. How has everybody been? We are pretty fine over here. Autumn has begun. Pumpkin spice is in the air. Uh, There's a lot of debate about whether or not Halloween is happening in L.A. at all. But, of course, the most important part of Halloween uh, is what costume you're going to choose. So that is a really hot topic in our house. Um, got some Indiana Jones and some skeletons in the running and also a newsy standby for what the, what the ultimate costume collection is going to be. So anyway, um, I'm really excited about today's episode because I got the opportunity to talk to Melissa Stevenson. She is a writer that I stumbled across somehow earlier this year. I read a piece that she wrote in a publication called Narratively. If you don't know about it, you should look it up for sure. Um, So found it, read it, and I immediately sent her a note. And there's a lot I could say, but I just thought for this episode, I would read the email that I sent her and then we'll just go right into the conversation. And then I'll just, you know, wrap it up at the end like I do. Good. So here is my email to her. Hi, Melissa. I haven't done this in a very long time, spontaneously written to a writer just moments after reading a piece of their work. But the story about your brother hits so close to home and you're a writer, I couldn't help but reach out immediately. I was contacted also via Facebook by a man claiming to be my father. He was correct and thus began an unraveling inside me that may never stop. The story is complicated. I won't bore you with details now. I imagine you are or will be getting a lot of these. This sentence, my folks had never seemed complex enough for such secrets, hit me hard, deep, beautifully with its resonance. Thank you for that sentence. It is so important to tell our stories so that others don't feel so alone. This sentence has my whole body ringing right now. The second part that made me say, oh wow, out loud, was about alcoholism and shame. I'm going to be turning that over in my head, in my heart, and my mind for a while. I am a writer and was in the throes of submitting my memoir around the country when this news came to me. It basically ruined my whole book proposal. It's now almost two years and I am just now starting to imagine being a writer again. The shock and drama of it all has had me paralyzed. Your piece gave me the feeling that I haven't had in a very long time. It's something like inspiration, excitement, and the memory of an old instinct. I just wanted to write and thank you. In the meantime, I've started a podcast called Everything's Relative in which I find people with surprise DNA discoveries and interview them. It's been a strange therapy of sorts. I talk a lot about shame. The goal of my message was to applaud your writing and thank you for sharing your story. If you are at all interested in interviewing with me on my podcast about your book and your story, I would love, love, love to have you on. I have a wide audience of the DNA discovery community and I know they would love to learn about you as well. But no pressure. This wasn't meant as a sales pitch at the very end. I promise. I can be reached at blah, 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 blah. Thank you for your time and your words. Best, Eve Sturgis. Uh, awesome. Good morning. I'm so glad that um, you could do this with me this morning. 
Me too. I was listening to an episode of your podcast yesterday, so I had it on my, which I love, um, and I had it on my brain, but I'm not used to, like, usually I'm naturally up by seven, and something about this fall weather, I woke up and was like, wow, so I'm glad I didn't oversleep even more. Oh, <laughs> I um, I actually talked about that with my husband last night, not about you sleeping in, but about um, the fall weather, and this time, for some strange reason, I feel much more aware of the the change. And it just like the other day, it was really hot all through the night. And now all of a sudden it's very clearly chilly. Like the sun goes down and um, yeah, that difference feels very stark this year. I don't know. I don't know if it's because we're all locked inside all the time or. We're marking like a first year into this new weird, you know, that first year after changes, every, every, it just seems more dramatic. Yeah, no, I think I think there's something to to something to be said about that. There's something about being the hunkering down makes us more aware of the elements in a new way. Yeah. But anyway, I'm so glad I'm so glad you got up whenever whenever it was. Um, cool. And you're in Montana. Yep. Cool. Yep. How and you're are you in Missoula? Yep, we are. How big is Missoula? I feel like most people, at least when I'm on the East Coast, uh, rarely people kind of imagine that we live in a cabin in the middle of the woods, but Missoula's uh, maybe 70,000 people or so in the county. Okay. The third largest city in Montana, which is still Montana and not saying a lot, but um, it's definitely (laughs) an arts and culture hub, I would say, more than any other city. 70,000 isn't isn't isn't. isn't small, isn't small, isn't teeny. I grew up, no, um, I grew up in a town smaller than that. Yeah. 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 It's a good, I love it. It's a really, it's nice, small enough that my kids and I can make friends and run into the same people regularly. Yeah. Um, and also big enough that you can meet people, new people and, and all that, you know, in theory, right. When you're not in a pandemic. Um, it's like likely that you know someone. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about your book and your experience and your writing. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I could, I could just ask you questions about all sorts of things all morning. Um, so I, I, um, I found you because I read your narratively piece, um, and it was so beautiful. I loved it so much, and, and it, and it, it really moved me. And, and so I reached out to you, and here we are. Um, but one thing I was realizing this morning is that so my my podcast has. Um, uh, traditionally, like we, I have only talked with people who have discovered a parent or a parent has discovered them. And it's like a, a parent, a parent to, to adult child, um, discovery relationship. And so you're my first person who can talk about the sibling discovery and what, and what that has done. Yeah. That's, that makes me so happy. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, Wonderful. So um, I'm just wondering if you can give like a summarized version of, of what happened with um, uh, with the discovery of your bro- your brother, how that happened and what that felt like. Um, and and then we'll, we'll we'll go from there. So so what happened? <laughs> um, the, the short version is that um, I lost my only sibling, my older brother. Uh, he was three years older than me and he died when I was 25 and he was 29. 
And we were very close in an odd way. Um, I had grown up in Indiana. We had grown up in Indiana. Um, and I, I, this was my first experience with grief. I was just wrecked. Mm-hmm. I was hard. Mm-hmm. And it took me years and years. I was already a writer. I had trouble writing after that. Um, so it took me a really long time um, to write and then revise and finally publish um, my book, Driven, which is very much about me losing my only sibling. Um, let's see, I had, uh, just announced on Facebook, I think in 2016 that I had, um, sold the book to my publisher and it was this time of year actually. (laughs) And I was having trouble sleeping, which is unlike me. And, um, I was up one night around 11 or midnight or so, um, trying to delay going to sleep in hopes that I would sleep better. Mm -hmm. And on Facebook that there's this other little, um, at the time it was a folder that just said other and messages from people who were not your friends went into that folder. So I just discovered that folder and there was a message from someone named Tony in Indianapolis that said, um, hi, I think your dad might be my bio dad. If you want to talk about it, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. And it goes from there, but it turns out that I have um, another brother, a half-sibling, who is alive and well. Can you remember how it felt um, or like what you were thinking when you read that message? Such a simple message with so much information in it. Yeah. Um, my immediate thought was um, this one. this must be one of my dad's uh, unsettled clients. My dad is a social worker Mm -hmm. and therapist and growing up, we, um, you know, had a history of stalkers and upset patients. And I just thought, Oh, this has to be one of dad's patients. Um, I'll check it out. I'll ask dad about it. Clearly my mom was not, you know, the person who had had another child. Um, but I think even, either message that night or in the morning. And by the end of the messaging, um, which there were only five or six messages, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, no, this is, this is for real. And how, do you know how he determined that um, your, your dad was his dad and how he found you? Yeah. I'm trying to remember some of that. It is interesting. Just the circumstances he grew up in. Um he had grown up with a stepdad and no one ever talked about who his biological father was, um, nor would he directly ask, but he said he pieced together clues. Um, like his middle name is Steven and my last name is Stevenson, but he then always thought his dad's first name, uh, was Steven. Right. And I don't think he ever got further than that. But I guess back in 2011, after what would have been a f- maybe 40-year high school reunion uh, that my father and um, Tony's mother attended, uh, Tony got a Facebook message himself from my father uh, saying, uh, I think I might, basically another version of, I think I might be your bio dad if you want to talk about it. That's fine. If not, that's fine, too. And what really strikes me about that sentence is it's so, it's so the way my father, my brother, my half brother, um, or I might approach something really large with that kind of 
understatement and simplicity. Right. Oh, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. As if that trait is genetic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and one 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 sentence that um, that is just one of my favorites in your in your narratively piece. Um, hold on, I'm going to pull it up. I had it ready, and now I don't. Um, so, um, so this is this is uh, about you checking out his Facebook page. Uh, mm-hmm. after he contacts you, but it says Tony's posts were the kind of things I'd seen on my, I'd see on my friend's walls, a turntable playing a seventies tune, a homemade tortilla browning in a cast iron pan, a picture of a camper van, but none of that confirmed anything. My parents had been married since they were 17 and 19. So I had no clue where another brother would fit into the timeline. And my folks had never seemed complex enough for such secrets. And that last part that my folks had never seen seemed complex enough for such secrets um just rings rings so true in a really deep place for me and and i'm wondering if you could just talk about the way that this changed your understanding of your parents or of your dad sure um first of all thank you for pointing out that line it's always i felt that deeply Mm -hmm. um but it's wonderful to hear when it resonates with someone else. You know, I was just raised in a household that I thought growing up was very open. Um, We told all kinds of stories. My parents even told wild stories from their youth involving alcohol and motorcycles. And (laughs) for teen parents, they seemed to have fit in a lot of fun uh, before they had us. Um, and then it was just wild as an adult to see silences grow um, around my brother's death and then my mom's continued severe alcoholism and have that vision from my youth kind of turned on its head. I grew up in a family where I felt we talked about everything. And then as an adult, I felt like I was a member of a family where we don't talk about any of the big things. Mm-hmm. At Do you- and I think that trajectory can change over time as the elephant in the room grows. Sure. Do you feel like it was at your brother's death that um, triggered that pivot or you think it was just, it was something that was slowly happening and you just noticed it more as an adult? In, in the way we didn't talk about things. Yeah. Um, Both, both. Uh Um, After his death, we could talk very explicitly about him and what had happened Mm -hmm. with him. But there was my mother drinking herself to death. Right. And no one knew the word alcoholism. Right. It was like that right. form. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it got worse. And as people get older, I think you either kind of um, uh, invite or foster a growth mindset of some sort, or you can just cling to habit and kind mm-hmm. of calcify. And at that point in time, um, my parents seemed to be clinging to habit which alcoholism will do that to a family as well. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so, right. So, so, so all of that was happening and then, and then Tony, Tony contacted you and you realized that there was, there was more than just alcoholism that wasn't being talked about. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, and then you go, uh, and you, you meet Tony, um, can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that and what, what has happened since then or since that, that, that initial Facebook message? Yeah. So that was 2016. And 
um, by we, my kids and I visit Indiana typically every summer. Mm-hmm. That's kind of our agreement. Um, and we visited in summer of 2017. So we had time to like communicate about this. And I had time to talk to my dad and, and verify all of this information. And essentially we kind of got the scoop on what had happened. And in 2017, um, it was really interesting. This is the example of like, even though we were talking about everything, we weren't really talking about everything. Um, I was down there with my kids. My mom was still alive, but you know, wasn't really mobile. And I had made arrangements myself to meet Tony. And at first it was just going to be Tony and myself. Mm -hmm. And then at the last minute, Tony's like, well, is it okay if my wife comes? And I was like, of course it's fine if your wife comes. Mm -hmm. And then my dad, you know, Hey, I'm going up to this midway point Greenwood. I'm going to meet Tony. Um, I don't know if you want me to tell mom that I don't know if you just want to hang out you guys hang out with the kids and I go, um, or you can come up with me and take the kids to do something fun. That town has um, some more options. And my dad, um, again, very, in a very understated way. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, well, um, yeah, I'll take the, I'll go up with you. I'll take the kids to do something, but, um, could I, could I meet Tony too? And I, you know, we hadn't really talked about that when Tony contacted me, he did let me know his dad had been in, my dad had been in touch. And he said, you know, I didn't follow up on that message because I was already raised. I didn't know what I might want from a relationship with a father, but I knew who he was on Facebook. And he said the reason he reached out to me in 2016, he noticed that I had posted something on my dad's wall. And he thought, wow, I didn't know what I'd want with a father, but it never even occurred to me that I might have a sibling. And I absolutely a sibling, um, uh, which is sweet. <laughs> isn't it sweet? And then at that point in time, you know, shortly he realized then I'm a sibling who um, had lost my only sibling, mm-hmm. who was an older brother, um, just about a year from his age. Um, so that's why he had reached out to me. And that's why we had talked, but he hadn't really talked with my dad. So I end up kind of in the middle ground where I'm like, well, okay, I did the emotional work to build this relationship with Tony. It's up to him if dad can come. And I emailed Tony and and he said, sure. And so the funny thing is Tony and I have never had the one-on-one meeting, but every year that I go up, we meet. And that year, the first time we met was a prime example. Um, First, it was just me and Tony and his wife, who is really awesome as well. And the three of us talked for about two hours and just sort of like, I mean, a lot of it was just looking at the mannerisms and hearing mm-hmm. our voice and, and just being blown away by the um, genetics. Uh, it's pretty wild. And then my um, dad showed up with my two kids and we all sat together and my dad's fairly quiet anyway, but I, my dad was really smiling and happy, but quite speechless at the right. same time. Um, and yeah. since mm-hmm. we visit every summer, um, dad usually comes with us and it's, and, um, Tony has a daughter as well, who's delightful and, you know, we'll all go out and get some food and walk around, um, some part of Indianapolis. Um, and now my mom has passed away as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my dad is single after 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so he and Tony might get together. They're talking about getting together to watch some sports and stuff. So that's really interesting too. Wow. So they may end up sort of forging some kind of connection after all. It and, seems like it. Yeah. And after all this time. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. I wish I could be, I wish I could, um, I wish I could know it's inside your dad's head and heart about all of that. Um, but yeah. But uh, but I'm interviewing you, not him. Um, so I also, um, but that's ah, that's really interesting. And I, I and I talk so much to to people in Tony's position. So I would I I'm also interested in the idea of feeling like um, sort of self aware enough to to say to recognize like I'm not sure what I would want from a father relationship. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he had a, it sounds like he had a father, a stepfather. He had, um, yeah, sort of solid, solid a, family foundation, so to speak. It's interesting because he had a stepfather, um, who, you know, I don't think he really considers a father anymore. His parents divorced when he was 18 hmm. and his stepfather, um, was perhaps not the nicest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and yet he's a really grounded, calm, kind person in the same vein as my father. And I guess I'd, I'd say myself in that we um, tend to be um, de-escalators of situations mm-hmm. and good listeners. Um, so it's wild to see that despite um, a rough upbringing, these, there's these common traits. And it makes me really admire his openness, too. Um, he's not looking to... Um, cast, you know, he'll even say, I don't need to blame anyone for my upbringing or for anything. It's just really um, delightful to have this connection now. Yeah. How lovely. Um, yes. I admire. <laughs> yeah. It sounds um, like, uh, I don't even know how much, I don't think, I think I'm still sorting through my own story. So I wouldn't even say like, I have resentment, but, um, mm-hmm. but it sounds so nice to not have that and <laughs> sort of yeah. like Zen or Buddhist sort yeah. of understanding of what is, is and what was, was. And, um, that's really cool. One, another part that, um, another part that uh, it's in your story that I want to talk about. Uh, well, and, and one thing that was so funny, I was reading every, going over everything last night again. And so there's some things that are really similar about, about you and you and I, and, um, you and me. And so, so one thing is that I'm a writer and I, um, I feel very jealous that you got, you have a piece of narratively and a published book, but, um, but we both seem to write about, about ourselves, like life ourselves, our, our reflections on our growing up. And, um, so, so that was, that was, uh, one thing, but, so you wrote this memoir, you worked on this book, Driven, um, for years, years and years, and your family knew you were working on it. And um, and then it turns out that after you met, after you discovered Tony, you found out part of that discovery process was finding out that other people had known about him the whole time. Yes. Which happens a lot in the NPE world, um, but uh, I just... I, I want you to talk about it, but I, I also just wanted to say that I had re- I wrote a memoir um, that was ostensibly about the relationship between mothers and daughters, and it was about raising my daughter um, 
and reflecting on the relationship with my own mom. Hmm. Um, and all of that is, is like not very original, but I couldn't quite figure out what was missing. Like there was something about it that I was trying to emphasize that I couldn't like quite get to. And it has something to do with shame and it has something to do with conservative values and and me having a baby out of wedlock, like it, it, you know, like I never could quite like get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I did create a whole book proposal and I got rejected like 76 times. And, um, and right around then, like as I was submitting it and getting rejected and feeling like feeling not surprised actually, but um, then this whole thing came out and I was like, Oh, right. This whole time, (laughs) this has been the thing that's missing is the thing I didn't, I couldn't identify was that um, my dad is not my dad. And you have this secret that you've been carrying all along. And like, maybe that has been the elephant in the room between us for 38 years. Oh my goodness. So, and I, and I know a lot of people in the MPE community have this experience where they, they find out that other people around them knew. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm wondering if you could just talk to, Speak to that a little bit about what your experience and feelings were when when that came out. Yeah, I mean that just so captures my family. But I, I and I want to answer that question. But I also want to circle back and and ask: Did you did did you or will you go back to this book proposal with that knowledge? Yes, <laughs> but it will probably be an entirely different kind of book. But um, okay. but Good. yes, and I want to read your book. It was <laughs> it was it was very sort of funny and and uh interesting to to be telling like my closest closest friends who all have read my memoir already or the book proposal and knew everything about me and knew knew how long I'd been struggling with this and everybody's faces would have like the same face and they would with the same tone go like oh well that's what's missing or that's your book yeah or that's what's going on you know um so yep yep we'll, we'll get there yep um, good. And I think there's a tendency in memoir too, when, when that, there's that missing piece to, um, to turn it on ourselves, like, why am I not digging deep enough for the right. truth? What am I not seeing? When in fact, sometimes people are just not telling the whole right. truth. Right. Right. Like, yeah, I was definitely making it about uh, my, my writing or lack, lack of insight. Yeah. Or like, um, I couldn't come up with the right words. Yeah. Uh, for me, I mean, I think I just started laughing, but it was definitely a complicated laugh um, because I was like, okay, fool me once, fool me twice. This is totally my family. And I don't think, so the situation was, and and the reason I just had to laugh at it at the end, um, my family is maybe not what you would expect when, definitely not what you would expect when you think of conservative Indiana um, they have been so great about nurturing my kind of weirdo artist self mm-hmm. from the time I was very young, even though they tend to live fairly traditional lives. Um, and so my entire extended family had been helpful as I had spent eight years writing this memoir and many things. Um, there are so many instances where I would be emailing an aunt or, or someone asking a story. Um, they would fill in blanks for me. Um, and they really helped me with a lot of key details that were definitely in drafts of the memoir. And, and many of those stories are in the final draft of the memoir. So we just had all this time when I, they know that I'm 
for years and years and years writing a memoir about the death of my only sibling. Right. Never did anyone think to say, oh, yeah, but did your dad ever tell you about that other kid? That, yeah, I can totally, I can sort of understand like them not even, not even crossing their mind. Exactly. And it's a totally different situation. Yeah. Yeah. It had been so long ago. Mm -hmm. And one of my aunts even said, um, you know, they've, they've all met Tony now, which is really cool. Hmm. I think all of them. And um, one of my aunts said, she goes, you know, I'm not even sure that I did know. It all sounds very familiar now, but of course that all happened um, 50 years ago. And probably the version that they got came through my mother and was something like, oh, um, didn't something happen with that, that girl who lives near um, Glenn, my dad, and didn't she have a child and and aren't we not supposed to talk about that? And another aunt, her version was um, that my mother had told her, we've decided to, ne- that's settled and we've decided to never talk mm-hmm. about it. And then when we continue to not talk about something for 40 years, 40 years. They like, yeah, they were all like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that. Yeah. So they knew, but, but it was all very fuzzy and they'd kind of forgotten. And then my aunt pointed out too, she goes, well, I had no idea um, that seemed like something your parents would tell you or not. And I had no idea along the, through the years, if they had told you that or not. Right. Well, I think too, I mean, you just, for me, like I have such a, a new appreciation for time, the passage of time, but like your parents, your mom was 17. Like yes. that is so young. Um, yes. And to make a decision and to, to decide what's best at, seven, at age 17 and 19 Mm-hmm. And I, I'm trying to think if I can remember anything from the from when I was 19, let alone 17. And then remember it reliably in right, any way. Right. Or like anything about my friends or rumors at, at school. Like I just, I feel like my heart really goes out to that reality for, for the second, the, the older generation facing these situations. Um, yes. That there's, and she, yeah. She was 17 and, and pregnant mm-hmm. out of what and um, had already lost her father to a car wreck and her first boyfriend to a car wreck. So I can totally imagine this territorial 17-year-old who was like, I'll marry you, Um, but this is our our family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, and without – I mean, it's just so much – so much has come out now about – in, in 40 years or in the past 50 years about child development and family systems and uh, the psychology of, of family and, and the, but, and even now people are still making decisions like that. So, you know, people are just doing their best. It's really yeah. interesting. Um, and then, okay. So the other thing I wrote down that was similar is that I also had a brother contact me on Facebook and be in my other folder Oh, wow. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, um, he wasn't as explicit as your brother. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it was a weird message and deleted it. Like immediately. I was like, oh, what a weirdo. Because <laughs> it was like, it was some kind of, it was more cryptic. It was like, hey, we really need to talk. We have something in common. Contact me if you want to know. I something that I just was like, uh, okay, you know, Russian bot or whatever. <laughs> um, so it's so funny to think of how sort of in a sliding doors kind of way, like the path could have 
could have changed very dramatically because that was in 2015 that he contacted me. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so things, yeah. So I didn't, I didn't find out. And then what else? I felt like there was like all throughout the whole thing. I was like, oh my gosh, that's like me too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I'll probably think of it as soon as we get off the phone, which is how I operate. Um, so, so Driven is an amazing book. Um, and this narratively piece is great. And and I'm wondering if you are still writing and are you working on anything else right now? Yeah, I'm I'm always still writing. Right. Um uh and you know, we made a comment about the um uh mother daughter and raising your own daughter territory, um, maybe not being so original. Mm-hmm. Um I'm fascinated with it. That's why I want you to write your book. I don't want to. And that's another thing we have in common. Um, so I'm, I, I write a fair amount of essays that kind of, um, whether I intend to or not, deal with my mother and then also <laughs> mothering a daughter. And um, I write into that territory. Um, but right now I'm working most regularly on a book about being a single parent. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I can relate to that. That is, um, oh, that's really neat. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited for, for any, anything. And, and actually, um, I will, of course, uh, make sure there's links to, to your stuff, um, on, on my, on the page and on my Instagram and everything like that. Um, if people want to, I will set up some links, but if people want to follow, are you, are you doing, follow you or, or, or keep abreast of your work. Um, is there social media that they should check out or anything? Yeah. I'm on, I have a website, um, an author website and I'm also on Instagram. So, so what's yeah. your author website? Uh, Melissa.stevenson with a ph mm-hmm. uh, at Squarespace okay. or whatever. Right, right, right. Ending would be, I should know this, right? Um, and you're on I'm sorry did you say Instagram or Twitter Instagram I'm on Twitter too but I don't say a whole lot there Mm -hmm. okay cool well thank you for spending your morning um talking about your writing and about what it's like to discover a sibling um because that's that's new for for my podcast community um although not new to the the overall NPE experience that was one of the first I talk a lot about about when I first started when I first started talking about my experience and how every time I talked about it, people somewhere somewhere near me would say like, "Oh, that happened to me," or "That happened to someone I know." And, and one of the first ones was somebody said like, "I just had some I, I just had a sibling reach out," hmm. and and it she figured out as as much that her mother had had a baby when she was sixteen and given the baby up for adoption. Hmm. And that's as far as it's gotten because her mother was so devastated to have that secret oh. come out. And and my friend really wanted to process this new understanding of her mother with her mother, you know? And uh, so I, I, I want to check in with her, but, um, yeah. but yeah, this is, ha- this is happening all over the place. I, and I, I have to say, I did have that first thought, um, which I kind of forgot about, but uh, when I first realized in those emails that Tony was probably my half sibling, I thought, oh, 
my dad must really have just kept this a secret from everyone. I'm going to protect his secret, but I'll talk to him about it. And that was part of why I laughed when I'm like, oh, it's not a secret. Everyone knows but me. I guess the memoir gloves are coming off. I can write about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I have, I did get more email on that narratively piece than I've gotten from anything that I've written. And it was all people who are like, oh my goodness, I have a similar story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. It's a real, it's so funny. I was just, I was, I don't know if it's so funny, but I, it is just a lovely piece. I've read it so many times now and I, your writing is, is, um, I, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't mean this in a bad way. I don't know why it's so accessible, but it's really beautiful. And there's something about the simplicity also of like, he found me on Facebook and not like Facebook, you know, and um, Facebook is not the most like eloquent, romantic baseline for a story, but like you, you really worked with it. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, great. Well, I, I'm so grateful that you could spend, I already said this, but spend your morning with me and, um, and I will make sure everything is linked to your stuff. And uh, I can't wait to, to read more. And um, I hope you keep in touch about all things um, writing and siblings and parenting yeah. related. Yeah. It was so great to get to talk to you and I'll share, let me know when there's um, a link to share and I'll share it on um, my various social medias. And I want you to, I, yeah, let me know if I can ever help with, yeah, I want you to get a book out there. And I <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, um, yeah, I, I, I feel like um, this connection was more than just about the, the DNA yeah. Um, yeah. connection. It feels really great to connect with you. So uh, have a wonderful weekend. You too. Thank you. And uh, enjoy Missoula as the weather changes. Yes, it's lovely. I will. And and enjoy the change there as well. Thank you. It's less lovely here in LA, but it has its own charm. (laughs) I had no idea that starting this podcast would get me so many wonderful opportunities like the one I had last Saturday when I got to speak with Melissa. Um, If you couldn't tell, I felt like there were so many points of connection with her. Uh, It was fun to get to talk with her and add yet another voice to the conversation about DNA discoveries. Like, what is it? um, What is it like when you get to be a sibling? What's it like for the siblings? Go find her book. It's called Driven, A White Knuckle Drive to Heartbreak and Back by Melissa Stevenson. If you can, I would recommend that you also go find that essay that I found uh, to introduce me to her. So that essay is called Mourning My Only Brother and then Finding I Had Another One. I will put all that info on my Instagram and Facebook so you can find it when you're ready. But uh, I highly recommend that you make her words a part of your life. One of the things that Melissa and I have in common is raising kids as a single mom. We barely touched on it, but it felt important to me. Uh, listeners know that I talk about my husband, Kaylin, enough uh, to assume and correctly that I am married now, but I was a single mom to my daughter, Lily, for 10 years living in Los Angeles. And I have a lot to say about the way that decade shaped my life and who I am today. I bring that up because last week, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, which has kicked off yet another layer of debate and stress in our country right now. Her role on the Supreme Court was to very much speak for women. And one could argue that women like me and Melissa are able to be single parents at all because of the rights afforded us during her tenure on the court. 
So maybe I will do another episode about this sometime because I don't feel like I have the energy for it this very second to really get into it. But I have said this on my Instagram. I stand by it today. If you don't think that Ruth Bader Ginsburg's role on the Supreme Court has anything to do with the NPE experience or phenomenon, then we have a lot to talk about. And if President Trump gets who he wants on the court and we see a rolling back of women's rights, especially in the birth control arena, you better believe that the conversation about the NPE phenomenon is going to have to get bigger and louder. So no matter how you feel about women's rights or Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, I hope you're registered to vote and are prepared to fight for what you believe in, whatever that is in 2020. This is classy. I also hope you're following with us on Instagram at Everything's Relative Podcast. You're supporting this project on Patreon and you're reviewing us on all the pod platforms. Whether or not you're going to vote for the future of our nation, at least vote for this podcast. And come back in two weeks for another episode. I'll be here on Everything's Relative Podcast. This is Eve Sturgis yelling at you from Los Angeles. Bye. Wear a mask. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Kaylin Egan and Eve Sturgis. Eve is a licensed therapist in the state of California, but conversations on this podcast are not therapy sessions. This podcast is edited by Stephanie Delon-Zick, the logo design is by Ivy McNally, and the music is used with permission by Goodbye the Band. Goodbye the Band.